Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verses 1 to verse 20. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Don't you just love Old Testament Bible readings? <laughs> Basically, there was a guy, and his name was Elkanah. Verse 2. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Sheol, where Hophini and Phinehas had two sons of the two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave double portions because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Sheol, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the house of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. Her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, 
and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Have you ever been completely misunderstood? Been in a situation where no one seems to understand? A a situation that seems impossible to resolve? A, A situation where you feel completely powerless and weak? This was the situation that Hannah found herself in. She was barren. Now, that doesn't sound like the end of the world to us, uh, particularly in a world today that is probably concerned about overpopulation, and even some couples choose not to have children. But even today, there are many who struggle with the heartache of infertility. But for Hannah, it was much worse. She lived in an ancient male-centered society where her sole purpose was to create a heir for her husband so that his family name could carry on. To be barren was to fail the family and to actually be a social embarrassment to your husband. Furthermore, she would not have a son to look after her in her old age. And to make matters even worse, to be barren, they considered that if you were barren, it was a punishment from God. Today, if someone's barren, they will go and see their gynecologist or a a fertility clinic. But in those days, they lacked our scientific knowledge of the reproduction system, and so they concluded it must be a punishment from God. So... For me, as a a male in the 21st century living in the United Kingdom, it's hard for me to truly and fully understand the sense of failure and the heartache that Hannah must have felt. But even today, there are many followers of Jesus who experience barrenness in one form or another. And so the story of Hannah reminds us that the world is full of people who feel inadequate or incomplete for one reason or another. And and to make matters much worse for Hannah, no one seems to understand. Everyone seems to misunderstand her. Firstly, her rival, Penina, completely misunderstands her. We read in verse 6, Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. She probably said things like, You're such a failure. What kind of wife are you? You can't even produce one heir, one child. You're a failure. And, And you know why you're barren? You're barren because God is punishing you. And Hannah had probably heard that so many times that like an abused child, she probably started to believe it. Now, we shouldn't be too harsh on Penina. It seems most likely that Elkanah loved Hannah more than Penina. In verse 5, we told that Elkanah gave double portions to Hannah because he loved her. And later in verse 8, he says to Hannah, 
don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So it seems quite obvious that Elkanah loved Hannah more than Peninnah. And it's most likely that Elkanah only took Peninnah as a second wife once he realized that Hannah was barren. Similar to the way Abraham takes Hagar when he thinks Sarah is barren. And so there's great irony over here. The misunderstanding is this. Penina wants the one thing that Hannah has, Elkanah's love. And Hannah wants the one thing that Penina has, a child. And, and, and Penina feels that she can never be fulfilled as a wife unless Elkanah loves her the most. And Hannah feels that she can never be fulfilled as a wife unless she can give Elkanah a son. And this tension becomes particularly evident every year when they go to the temple. In those days, the temple was just a big tent called the tabernacle. And every year when they would go to the tabernacle for one of the three annual feasts, most likely Passover, but it could also be in the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacles, it became evident. We read in, in, in verse 4 and 5, Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave double portions because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And those double portions would be a reminder to Penina that Elkanah loves Hannah more than her. And those double portions would be a reminder to Hannah that she doesn't have a child. And as a result of this, Penina would start provoking Hannah. And as a result of that, Hannah would become depressed and she would weep bitterly. She would be so distressed that she wasn't able to eat the double portions that Elkanah had given her. And then we told in verse 3 and verse 7 that this went on year after year. That the repetition of the phrase year after year in verses 3 and 7 emphasizes the sense of hopelessness and powerlessness that Hannah must have felt. To make matters worse, it's not only Penina, who doesn't understand her, who misunderstands her, even her husband Elkanah misunderstands her. Now, Elkanah's love for Hannah is undoubted, but his understanding of her grief is not. Because at a time when Hannah needs nothing more than for someone to understand her grief and empathize with her, Elkanah asks her a most insensitive question, like only a male can. And we read in verse 8, Elkanah asked her, he would say, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? You see, for, for Elkanah, Hannah's barrenness didn't bother him because he had other children. 
And because it didn't bother him, he couldn't understand why it was bothering her. And he completely doesn't understand her situation for his love wasn't a substitute for one child, let alone the ten he suggests. Hannah, when she just thinks it can't get any worse, I'm barren. Panina doesn't understand. My own husband, Elkanah, doesn't understand. And then all of a sudden, Eli, the high priest, totally misunderstands her. There she is in the temple, praying out to God out of distress, and he thinks she's drunk. And we read in verse 14, he says to her, in verse 14, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. He completely misunderstands her grief for someone who is drunk. Which, to to his defense, is not an entirely unreasonable assumption at that stage in the feasting. These feasts would go on for seven days, and they included a lot of eating and drinking. But he completely misunderstands her situation. She feels powerless, hopeless. She's barren, weak, broken, powerless. No one understands. Even her own husband doesn't understand. She's got no one to turn to except God. And in the midst of her grief and her bitterness, with tears still rolling down her cheek, she walks into that tent, the tabernacle, and she pours her heart out to God in prayer. And we read in verse 11, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Not cutting your hair within that culture was a sign that you had totally devoted your life to God. But what we discover over here is that she comes before God in open and honest prayer, and God can handle her honesty. Now, this isn't the kind of prayer we often model. We often like to put up the front that everything's okay. But all of us will experience barrenness in one form or another. And then we need to realize that God can handle our honesty. God is waiting with his arms open for us to come to him in open and honest prayer. Well, after her prayer, of course, Eli thinks she's drunk. And after that, she says in verse 15 to Eli, Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli is obviously persuaded by the truth, and we read in verse 17, Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. This is the turning point in the narrative. Something happens. Hannah is still without a child, but something happens. 
And we read in verse 18, she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Something happened. She still doesn't have a child. But all of a sudden, she's no longer downcast. And she eats something. Something happened. Let me make a suggestion that through her open and honest prayer, and through Eli's priestly assurance that God had heard her prayer, she, came, she had an encounter with the living God. She still doesn't have a child. Penina still doesn't understand. Elkanah, her husband, still doesn't understand. Eli, the high priest, still doesn't understand. But she's come to realize that God understands. And when we're going through a seemingly impossible situation, a situation which seems impossible for us to do anything. We feel completely weak and powerless when no one seems to understand. Even our closest friends and family members don't understand. We can be assured that God understands. For in her prayer, and through her prayer, and through Eli's priestly assurance, she comes to realize that God heard her prayer, that God understands her grief and that God accepts her. Even though she's still barren, God accepts her. No longer is her happiness and her peace solely dependent on having a son, but it's dependent upon God and God's acceptance. And so she's able to leave the issue with God in prayer and walk away, no longer downcast and be able to eat something. In verse 18, Hannah is living between promise and fulfillment. You see, Eli, as the high priest, as God's spokesperson, has assured her that God has heard her prayer, will answer her prayer, will give her a son, but she has not yet received that son. She's living between the promise and the fulfillment. Now, of course, it doesn't take long within the narrative for God to fulfill that promise. And we read in verse 19, Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. And so we discover over here is that God is faithful to his promises. But in verse 18, she's still living in the time between the promise and the fulfillment. This is where most followers of Jesus find themselves. Most of us are living between the time of promise and fulfillment. Now, I believe that God is able to intervene miraculously when we cry out to God and open an honest prayer just like Hannah did. I've got a, a guy I know back in South Africa, a friend of mine, he's a number of years older than me, and, and he shared with me how when he was a child he had a skin disease. 
He, is, he wasn't allowed to go outside and expose his skin to direct sunlight. Whenever he would go outside, he had to be completely covered. You can only imagine how hard that must have been for a kid and a teenager growing up in sunny South Africa. And he shared with us how he soon became really depressed and suicidal. And I remember him telling me that the various ways that he tried to commit suicide. One day he went to church, and they came around him, they laid hands on him, they anointed him with oil, they prayed for him, and he was miraculously healed. His skin is still scarred, but he was completely healed. God is able to intervene when we call out in open and honest prayer. But for most of us, for most followers of Jesus, we find ourselves living in that verse 18, between the time of promise and fulfillment. I can, again, I can remember when I was back in my church back in South Africa many years ago, there was a guy in our church, he, was, he had cancer. We prayed for him every Sunday. He would come to church. We'd get him up onto the front. I remember laying my hands on him. We laid our hands on him. We prayed for him every Sunday. And the disease ran its course, and he died in his 30s. I can remember one day when he was at church when he was very ill. He stood up at the front, and he said, I want to tell you about the big C in my life. It's not cancer. It's Christ. This was a man who was living between the time of promise and fulfillment. He had had an encounter with the living God through open and honest prayer. He had an encounter and he knew that God had heard his prayer, that God understood his grief, that God was grieving with him. And for some reason, which I don't understand, God did not heal him the way we would have liked. But today he's with Jesus, healed. God doesn't only promise to hear our prayers, but to answer our prayers. That doesn't mean that he will necessarily give you the son you asked for. But it does mean that he'll give you his one and only son, Jesus. One of my Bible college lecturers used to always say, God is able to intervene, but often he doesn't. That has to be balanced with. God did not have to intervene, but he did in Jesus. For in Jesus, all of God's promises are yes and amen. I don't know where you are today. If you are struggling with a barrenness in one form or another. If you're facing a situation that seems impossible to resolve, a situation where no one seems to understand. But if you are, can I encourage you to go take that to God in prayer, in open and honest prayer, for God can handle your honesty. He's waiting for you to come to Him in prayer. And then leave it with him in prayer, knowing that he has heard your prayer, 
that he understands your grief, that he is grieving with you, that he will comfort you, and he will answer your prayer in his time and in his way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the real privilege of being able to come to you in prayer. We thank you that you are always there, you're always listening, and that you understand. You understand the situation we're in probably better than we even understand. You understand our heart and our hurts, and you grieve with us. Father, we pray that you would comfort us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to to be like Hannah in just leaving it in prayer and being able to walk away, trusting you to answer it in your time and in your way. Help us to be like Hannah, to be able to be open and honest in our conversations with you. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would meet us where we are, comfort us and empower us and enable us to move forward, trusting you, to be able to live in that verse 18, between promise and fulfillment, knowing that ultimately you have proved yourself in Jesus, that you are faithful. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.